When I was uh, preparing this real thought for you today, I was thinking that all of us have a song that helps us to lift our mood. I have a couple of them, and I want you to think which one is yours. Why do you think that? I'm, al I'm almost sure that the 100% of you know that song, that when you listen to it, you move the head to the bed. And this song says something like this, don't worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. And you're probably now just singing that in your head. It's a nice positive message to know that every little thing is going to be all right. And it's also the message that most of the time we also hear on the media, on the social network especially, when all these people want to encourage the watchers by saying, believe in yourself, trust the process, and, you know, tomorrow will be better. And most of the time, these, so these messages to stay in the theme of music are followed by an epic music. And when you finish to listen to these messages, you feel the power of a hundred horses in you, and you are ready to fight the world and just stand your ground. But then as soon as you turn your eyes off the phone, you just face the reality. And all of a sudden, that horsepower, that willpower that you had is going to be gone. And so at that moment, I probably would ask myself, saying, is really everything going to be all right? You know, probably if David would have lived in these times where good vibes only are promoted, um, we wouldn't have the, as many psalms as we do. And in fact, probably we wouldn't know many aspects of the Bible and of God as we know today. But to be honest with you, I don't think this is true for the Bible only. I think that this is true for uh, art in general, for music, literature, graphic arts. Uh, just to mention a couple, think about the blue period of Picasso, or think about Adele. Could you ever imagine a, a world without uh, rolling in the deep? don't know. And the song that we just read, actually, is not that far from one of Adele's songs. Um, it definitely doesn't give us a vibe that everything is going to be all right. Uh, keep with me. Just look at verse 2 and 3. Look at what um, David says. He says this, Don't let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Now, we don't know the exact context when David wrote this, but the idea that something bigger than him, something beyond his, con his control that could happen, or is happened yet, or could or is happening in the moment, is there. For David, these kind of bigger things, big thing, bigger things than him, could be enemies, could be the fear of being invaded by other people. But for us, probably, could there be something different, definitely. Something like financial instability, or even things beyond our own control, which could be death, or the death of someone we love. 
if you are not familiar with David's story, David was a king at that moment, and his kingdom was pretty successful. Uh, he was chosen by God to be a king. He, he killed a giant when he was a, a young man. He gained the favor of many. He had women. He had success. He was rich. He had everything that a man could imagine. What could possibly go wrong, you, you would ask? What else does he need? And yet, just now, we are reading a psalm which expresses everything but happiness. He expresses tension, anxiety, and also expresses a desire for hope. But hope that is different from the idea that everything will turn out all right, everything will be okay. A couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, Paul was saying about God speaking through our deepest desire. Two weeks ago, Ash was saying something about God speaks through our need of feel loved. So today, I just decided to add something to this, and I've called this God speaks through our need for hope. So, if hope is not the idea that everything is going to be all right, what is the hope that David is looking for? And look at the first verse in this psalm, and look how David um, opened this prayer. He says this, In you, Lord God, I put my trust. And then it goes in verse 2, I trust in you. Now, before to move on, I just want to say to you that this is a big psalm, so I'm not going to take everything uh, out of it. So just keep up with me, please, and <laughs> I will jump um, in the psalm. Um, so verse 2, I trust in you, David says. And as many of us, David had to face problems, we said. Problems beyond his power. Uh, there were trials that the solutions would never come with the time, so he could never trust the process of it. Um, nor there were emptinesses that could be satisfied with money or even the many women that he had. And ironically, actually, there were not even problems that could be faced with the idea that if you believe strongly enough, they are going to go away. Because I think it's never, it never is a matter of if you believe hardly enough, then that thing will happen. You know, last time I was speaking here, and I think it was uh, five weeks ago, I was speaking about having faith like children. And I have to say that looking back at that um, passage, that thought that was given, um, I missed one point. You know, David says, I trust in you, Lord. And the point I missed <laughs> during that talk was exactly this. What does it mean to trust God? What does it mean to trust God like a child? And all of us, I think, have been, a chi have been children. Uh, some of you still are, like myself, in the character, though. Uh, but anyway, at some point during our lives, have gone through the, you know, through the point that we needed someone to help us. And I realized this when I was at school, when I was doing maths and geometry. I was fine with maths up to the point that they, start to, they began to put letters next to numbers. And I couldn't realize anything. I couldn't 
work out anything. So I always said to ask my mom to help me to do the homework. Or when I used to go and work with my father, my father used to do some decoration work, right? And I used to make a mess most of the time. <laughs> so many times I had to go to my father. He was paid to do the job, so uh, it was important the problems were fixed. So I went there to him and I had to ask him for help to, you know, to solve the problems that I made, to fix all the mess I've done. And I was thinking in the making of these uh, thoughts, how many times do we find ourselves in the situation of asking for help, whether it is something simple or something that is going on, or something when our world seems to crumble around us. How many times do we ask for help? You know, there is a famous scene in one of the Spider-Man movies. Now there are too many of them. But when Peter Parker tries to stop a train by using spider webs. And sometimes we, I think with our lives, we try to do the same things. We try to hold a train, a high-speed train, with all our efforts, with all our strength. And we, use, we invest strength, wisdom, energies. But the truth is that we are not Spider-Man, are we? I mean, I cannot use spider webs so far. But sometimes, what I want to say is that our strength is not enough. And we have to let go. When David says, Lord, I trust in you, he is doing exactly this. He is letting go in the hand of God. And not because he's not trying to hold his life together, but because he's looking for someone who does that with him and for him. Basically, he's not running away from what is happening in his life. He's not even giving up on what are his duties. But he is looking on God. And in fact, in verse 4 and 5, there is something fantastic that David says. Check this out. He says this, verse 4 and 5. He says, this, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God and my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. I have the impression that King David doesn't know where, uh, what direction his life is taken. You know, although he had everything that a human can desire, success, women, respect, everything he had, riches, there was something that he was missing. He knew that he could not hold every little bit of his life in his hands. And sometimes I think we do the same when we think that we have every little box ready to be ticked off. And as soon as we take one box off, there you go, there's something sudden happens. And that something sudden was happening to David here. Something that was beyond his control. But in verse 15, and this is where I'm saying that I will jump on and off the passage, uh, up and down the passage, sorry. David says something fantastic in verse 15. Although he knew that he couldn't control everything and that nothing probably was under his control, he says this, in that moment he says this, my eyes are ever on the Lord. 
For only he will release my feet from the snare or from the net, some other translation use. Basically, he felt the situation like a trap. And probably he was really trapped. He was really in the net of the enemies at that moment. You know, he was a king again. He had everything. But the hope that he was looking for could only be given by God. And there is something interesting here. In uh, verses 12 and 13, David speaks about those who follow the Lord, uh, those who rely on God. And he says this, Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity. Check this word, prosperity is interesting. And their descendants will inherit the land. I think that the prosperity that David speaks about, he knew that he had everything, basically. But I think the prosperity that David was talking about was not nothing material. I think that the prosperity that David was looking for and that he knew that he could find only in God was the sense of peace or wholeness with God. And I think that in that moment, when he felt like to be in the deepest of the valleys, when he says in verse 5, my hope is in you because you are my Savior, we have to ask, what is the hope that David is having? And if we are to answer that question, what is the hope? The answer is not that everything will be all right or that everything will turn out to be the best for you. The hope of David lies in the assurance that God is always with him. Lies in the assurance of God's faithful presence in every little thing. And this is how biblical understanding of hope differs from the optimistic understanding of hope that society usually gives us. Well, I think society tells us that everything will turn out for the best. And this is a, a good encouragement, I think. I think there is nothing bad in that. I think it's an encouragement that most of the times, even myself, I need to hear. But the thing is that Bible, instead of society, gives us the idea of hope that is not based on the highs and lows of our lives, but is based on the faithful presence of God in, in his faithfulness. And that can never be, that can never let us down, basically. You know, um, and also in, during those times of fear, anxiety, probably we can think that those moments can be sent by God, um, that God abandoned us. And probably David, um, I'm quite sure that David didn't have this in, his, in the back of his mind. I, know, I think that David had the knowledge that God didn't abandon him because he was crying out to him. And we can be sure of this, that God doesn't use <laughs> uh, revenge, that uh, bad moments are not sent by God in a sense, or that the enemies of David were not sent by God, because look at what David says in verse 6 and 7. He says this, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth 
and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, God, are good. Probably sometimes we can find ourselves in the, in the place of saying, you know, thinking that God has abandoned us. That we have enemies because God sent them. But I think that in the middle of the oppression, like David is saying, God is with us, God was with them. And not because David probably deserved him because he was a good king, but because God is a merciful, loving, and gracious God. And if so far we have said that God speaks through our needs of hope, we see that the most amazing thing is not only that God speaks, but that God listens also. I don't know about you, but I'm of the type of person now that when watches a football game on TV, I get very passionate about it. Um, and sometimes uh, I feel like I'm the coach, I'm the manager on the, on the side of the pitch. So I start to shout at the players on TV, of course. Shout at the players saying, pass the ball, do this, move there, try a shoot. Look, there is that player there that can, be, can receive the ball. And you know, sometimes... That happens. Sometimes players listen to me. And now you may call it a coincidence. But I, I, like to call, I like to think that I have authority over them. But the thing is that most of the time they don't listen to me. And so I end up by saying, why are you doing that? Or why are you not listening to me? And I think sometimes life can be like that. And this is a crucial aspect of this, of our needs of hope. When everything is, seems to crumble, when everything seems to fall down, when we are hopeless, who is going to listen to us? Verse 16 to 19. After David acknowledged our hope and praised God for his faithful presence and his goodness in the midst of trials and his loving forgiveness, there is a moment where David cries out to God. And this is probably the inmost part of the psalm. This is probably one of Adele's choir, the most important part of the song. And David says this, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction, God, and my distress, and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. I think probably these are the words of someone who didn't spend time on Instagram, who didn't pay attention to the words of that uh, encourager that was saying, oh, you should trust in yourself and everything will be fine. I think that these are the words of someone who is crying out to God, someone who is looking for hope that goes beyond the idea to trust the process or to believe in yourself. Because it's not that that is going to help him when things are bigger than himself. And I think that in this moment, David could have done just two things. The first one was to run away from everything and try to sort out the problems by himself. And I don't know how that could have ended. But the second thing 
is that David could cry out to God. Knowing that in God he would find the assurance of love despite his sinful character. He would find forgiveness, love, hope, someone who listens to him. You know, these words that he says, turn to me, be gracious to me, listen to me, look on my affliction, God, are words of desperation, but they are no words far from us. I think most of us probably are familiar with these words. I think the idea that everything is going to be all right is a good idea, again, it's a very good encouragement to go to someone and say, you know, don't worry, everything is going to be all right, but it's very narrow. I, uh, in the making of these thoughts, I was looking um, to some articles about hope, and I ended up in the 50 quotes about everything will be all right. They are a wonderful encouragement, so I'm going to read that over to you, three of them. So, the first quote is this. Take a deep breath and relax. It's all going to turn out better than you expected. Now, could you imagine saying this to someone who is in the bed of a hospice? Take a deep breath and relax. Everything will be okay. Or every problem, this is second quote, every problem has a solution. There's always a way to fix something. So rest assured, all the right solutions will become known to you soon. Now imagine saying this to someone in Ukraine who has lost the house and whose children have been, are dead on the battlefield. Third and last quote I want to give to you. You can cut all the flowers, but you cannot, you cannot keep spring from coming. Now try to say this to yourself every time you feel low. Every time you feel like everything is not going in the direction that you wanted it to go. Every time you need hope, try to say to you this. You can cut all flowers, but spring will come anyway. What, the, what will the result be? What is going to be the result of this? You know, I think it's easy to be positive. And again, there is no wrong with these messages. I think we need this sort of messages at times. But when things are getting bigger than us, how are these to believe that everything is going to be all right? It doesn't matter who you are and what you have. Every one of us needs someone that in the need of hope, when you call, is there. And it doesn't consider yourself if you are the cause of your problems or if the trials that you face seem gigantic to the point of death. You know, Lev Tolstoy, a famous a uh, Russian writer, he was um, investigating the meaning of life and he came to the conclusion that life has a meaning only if there is something beyond death. Of course, this is a briefly and very badly summarized thought, like a, a very brief summary of Tolstoy's message. But if you want to read it, it is in, in a confession, one of his work. But keep up with me. Listen to this. In an article of the Wall Street Journal of 2019, written by a psychoanalyst uh, by the name of Erika Komisar, she affirms this. Nihilism, the idea that God doesn't exist, 
is a fertilizer for anxiety and depression, and being realistic is overrated. The belief in God, in a protective and guiding figure to rely on when times are tough, is one of the best kinds of support for kids in an increasingly pessimistic world. And she goes on saying, I am often asked by parents, how do I talk to my child about death if I don't believe in God or heaven? And she, her answer is brilliant. Look at this. My answer is always the same, she says. Lie. The idea that you simply die, she goes on, and turn to dust may work for some adults, but it doesn't help children. In her article, um, Dr. Commissar wrestles with the idea of, uh, of children raised without any religious belief. But I think this is, can, can be easily applied even to an adult's life. And Tolstoy is one of those examples. We need someone that in the moments of sorrow, despair of desperation, when everything goes wrong, we can fix our eyes upon. Knowing that in him we will find hope, love, comfort, forgiveness, even beyond death. And so now the last questions that we should ask ourselves is, how can I find this hope in God? How David can be so hopeful? In the New Testament, long after uh, David was writing these words, First Peter, well, Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus, he was saying this in his first letter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. He says this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all of kind of trials. The same hope that David was hanging long before the cross finds his ultimate fulfillment in the work of Christ on the cross and his res resurrection especially, which is a totally different, if you think about this, it's a totally different understanding of hope of the concept of hope that we have today. Because the cross is a moment of suffering, shame, and is a moment in which Christ himself could have feel, felt hopeless. And in fact, it's on the cross that Christ showed his huma humanity. And he was crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What sort of hope is that? But hope is in this, that just three days later, the resurrection of Jesus tells us a different story. Tells us a story where enemies cannot triumph because forgiveness for sins is found at its heart. 
and a hope beyond every human under understanding is given. And this is how we can be sure of this hope, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Every little thing is going to be all right. I'm not sure about that. I'm really not sure about that. But looking at this psalm, we can be reminded that it doesn't matter who you are or what you have. Every one of us faces trials on a different levels of life. And if we have to apply these psalms to our life, probably this is the, the message that God doesn't, promote, doesn't, doesn't promise that every little thing is going to be all right, like the famous song was saying. But in every little thing, we can trust Him. Because in the ultimate work of Christ, we see even more of His presence, of His faithful presence into our lives. When Jesus said, I will be with you until the present ages, in Matthew 28, He's promising that, a faithful presence. And in Jesus Christ, we see a compassionate and loving character where God does not only speak through our need of hope, that God does not only listen to us when we cry to Him, but that God acts as well. You know, society, because of this idea that good vibes only, it tells us that we should push away people who had bad vibes in our life. But in these words, David reminds us that we are not that different from each other, that every one of us faces trials, and that every one of us need God to get through life. And this is what we should do. We should pass on this hope to those who are in need of hope. 